leave you to the sounds of violence My neighbors ain't never caught Police call it following protocols Spark it if you don't know the call Got this bitch that live off a market That's down the hole that he turning water and power off Got us impatient power up Eviction notices go unnoticed The final hours up Living off of borrowed time Committing crimes or organized Fortress wasn't fortified Just trying to build my castle up Dollar in a dream At night time we masking up The deadly game attack The older generations passed to us I got a clip that's long enough VHS Cole. What's the rumpus? Uh, war! War were declared. War were declared. What's the rumpus? I think it would be better if everyone said, What's the crack? <laughs> what's the crack? I think everybody. Or at least, like, Tom Reagan should say, What's the crack? <laughs> I think uh, I think anything would be better if we use lingo like in Miller's Crossing. What's the rumpus? I'm tired of the high hat. <laughs> Is this the high hat? You're giving me the high hat. Yeah, so we watched Miller's ah, Crossing. I'm watching <laughs> That's Leo's twist. We watched Miller's Crossing. We'll talk about it later. First, though, um, so I have ad blocker on most of my devices, but on my phone, like if I go to YouTube, I don't have an ad blocker on there. Uh-huh. Um, I've noticed I've been getting a lot of ads for uh, things like the early warning signs of HIV, how to get tested, those sorts of things. Guy guides. <laughs> and I was like, why would this come up? Why are they targeting me with these ads? And then I was like, you know what? I guess my phone was listening to us when I was making jokes about heroin last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's like legit for sure that your phone's listening to you, right? I don't know. It sure feels got like taken it went to time. court in like Switzerland or Belgium or something about it. No, I don't remember that specifically. But I, I mean, it's, it's certainly that seems like everyone's thought process i've heard some computer scientists uh, argue it both ways one that it's you know impossible and it would take too much data and the other way is like no if you do it this way you can do it you know what i mean so i think it's theoretically possible i don't know anecdotal evidence is like my phone's listening to me yeah. <laughs> and it's not just i mean again maybe their algorithms are that sophisticated but i i find that hard to believe yeah because uh their fucking algorithm on youtube doesn't uh show me anything i ever want to see well, yeah, no, you can watch the weirdest video, but, like, because it's using, like, Spongebob animation, all the recommendations for it will be, like, children's videos, even though the video is, like, a fucking, like, hypersexual, like, weird-ass, like, paperwave song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you, you, should, you enjoy this, huh? This sad video about Spongebob. Perhaps you'd like to watch children's videos. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not that sophisticated. Yeah, what is the rumpus? Australia's on fire. The world's on fire. Update from our Christmas episode. When we <laughs> yeah, talked still about on, fire. on fire. Still on fire. More on fire than ever. I saw a lot of like sex workers on Twitter were um, basically raising money by like, oh, if you donate to the Australian wildfire, I'll send you a nude. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty good. One of them made like $10,000 off of it. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, this is what's up. I think if I did that, I'd make maybe three, 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 four dollars. We should just like harness sexual energy for everything. That's how... Um, the Invisibles got to continue being. <laughs> We've talked about this before. <laughs> published, so it seems to work. <laughs> it always worked out for Alistair Crowley. Yeah, well, he, he fucking he was the top of the pops, man. <laughs> he's all he's doing is just having sex. You got to make the those special cookies, which were like menstrual blood, come, and I guess probably just other cookie stuff Ugh. called angel cookies. I think they were. I don't know. Hmm. I'd try one, but it's got to be like someone I'm close to's menstrual blood, and they're probably my own come. I'll try it out someday if it comes up. All right, good for you. I'm going to pass. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, and then also war, war all the time. We're in a forever war, anyways. So yeah. Here's a new one. Uh, yeah. They're trying out a lot of uh, propaganda like they used with the Iraq back in 2003. So I was thinking. That's making a comeback. It might be time for Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes to make a <laughs> A lot of people remember Bright Eyes only for like the really sad, very emo-y songs. Mm-hmm. But um, and Wide Awake It's Morning actually is like a really good touchstone for that time period. Like the mid-early 2000s when it came out. It, I do feel like it really uh, captured sort of the anxiety of that time. And through personal ways and then broader like political statements no one seems to rem- like no no one in the larger population remembers that it's just it's yeah, well yeah, i mean the price wasn't a huge band anyways but nah. those the, the oh, their lps before that went to like number one or two right no i the, those two albums EP? i'm wide awake it's morning and digital ash did really well but no one seems to remember that the content of the albums was like a political and social critique and stuff like that they just remember uh, sad the song, um, the the like the shitty love song. Oh, song. Uh, I, I shit! I can't uh, remember what the title is because I skip over it anytime <laughs> it comes on. This is the first day that I met you. Yeah, the first day of my life. That's it. Yeah, everyone just remembers that song because people had it at their weddings or some shit. Obviously, I, think I was born right here in the doorway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything's changed. Sitting on the. I don't remember the words now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't like that song. I skip over it. It doesn't. I, I don't know. I'm it not, doesn't do anything for you. Yeah, I'm not 19 anymore, so only songs got to either be about the end of the world or sex. It's something I care about. <laughs> also, at my wedding, I think I'd probably be even more cliche and play like "Into My Arms" from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice if we hung out no, with I was like, Charles Manson <laughs> and had a good time? Obviously, it would be God Only Knows. Oh, I actually do like that song quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, everyone likes that song. I wouldn't play it at my wedding, though, because I got to like, put on airs <laughs> so people know how pretentious I am at my wedding. <laughs> Speaking of putting on airs, um, Blumhouse. They uh, have a movie coming out. It's a Fantasy Island horror reboot. It looks stupid as hell because it's Fantasy Blumhouse. Island? Yeah, Fantasy Island, the TV show, <laughs> but a horror version. Welcome to Fantasy Island. And I was like, damn, they'll make anything for like $15 million. Is there going to be a little person in it? I didn't see it in the trailer, but maybe. But yeah, they'll make anything for $15 million. We got to get our alien screenplay to Blumhouse. I don't know if, well, I, mean, I feel like they will make that shit. Yeah, they probably guarantee will. It. How do we get it to them? Well, we'll just email random CEOs of Bloodhouse and executives and see if we, uh, we get anybody. Fucking make this shit. It'll cost like $10 million at the most. Release it around Halloween, boom, we make thirty million. <laughs> it'll be a real, real seller at the the DVD market. Yeah, we'll get um Panos Cosmatos to direct it because uh, yeah, he's got the right vibe for him. Whatever, fuck all that shit. It's grim out there. I feel like I've been world sick my entire life. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this bullshit. So let's talk about a greater time to be alive. Prohibition era. <laughs> <laughs> the, the roaring twenties. Yeah. <laughs> From the makers of Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, a world where nothing is what it seems to be. Leo, is he still the boss? The day I back down from a fight, Casper's welcome to the rackets, this town, and my place at the table. Casper, can he muscle in? I'm sick of taking a strap from you, Leo. And I'm sick of a high hat! 
Tom, would he sell out a friend? You shouldn't be confronting Jenny Casper. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I can still trade body blows with any man in this town. Except you, Tom. And Verna. Verna? Is she Leo's girl? What did you tell Leo? I told him you were a tramp and he should dump you. I want everybody to be friends. You, me, Leo, the Dane. You know who I am? The Dane. Has he got it figured? You dumping Leo for the guy who put a bullet in your brother? Bernie, will he turn the tables? Don't smart me. I want to watch you squirm. I want to see you sweat a little. All you got to do to show your friend is give me Bernie burn bum. Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. It's not right, Tom. I can't do it. Two of us have faced worse odds. Never without reason. But you said you didn't care about Leo. I said we were through. It's not the same thing. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about ethics. Albert Finney. Gabriel Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro. I can't die. I'm in the woods. Like a dumb animal. I can't die. He's still alive. You expect me to believe you? No. It's you all over town. Alive and no heart. No one is what they seem to be. Up is down, black is white. At Miller's Crossing. So um, it's never specified when this film takes place. Or where it takes place. Or it's Miller's Crossing. Evidence in the film suggests that it is taking place in New York and it would have to be like 1927 or so. This film is Tom Reagan, an advisor to a prohibitionary crime boss, tries to keep the peace between warring mobs but gets caught in divided loyalties. Not really, though. His loyalty is pretty much always to, uh-huh. to Lou. Yeah, to Leo. He's loyal to Leo. He's just kind of playing the game. He's just, like, slightly smarter than everyone else. That's, like, <laughs> his whole thing, right? Just a little bit more clever than the other gangsters. And surprisingly, the Dane is uh, quite clever himself. <laughs> Not well, clever also, the Dane enough, just is, isn't, doesn't necessarily want to play the game like everybody else, too. He'll brute force his way in. Yeah, you know I mean? he's just more, like, after... Um, Tom, because right. he can see through Tom's bullshit. Seemingly the only person. Tom manipulates the shit out of everyone except for Verna and the Dane. Which, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. It's a good time. It's the uh, 1920s. Talking, um, to set the scene for you and to bring up an interesting uh, point, or the thought I had when I was watching it in the broader political sense was that it's post-World War One, right? This is America's finally on the world stage and we're doing pretty well economically. So, so we got a lot of new immigrants coming in, though. And so we got first-generation uh, Irish-Americans, Italian-Americans, Jewish-Americans. Who are, this is the cast of characters in this film. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, all these first-generation immigrants from different cultures came to the United States and became criminals. And it's weird to think about why people of different cultures would come to, like, one monoculture... That has its own set of values and would drive them all to crime. And I was like, hmm, perhaps it's because of 
capitalism. <laughs> That's the whole thing, right? Is you come to the United States for the American dream. Turns out the American dream is not on offer for everyone. And then you got to do what you can to still kind of strive to get that dream and survive. Because otherwise, what are you doing, right? So it puts you into this meat grinder. If you don't I mean, have the shit, like, Well, the whole reason the Irish were here is because they were in a meat grinder back at home. Oh, yeah, the same thing with yeah. people, Jewish people were escaping uh, pogroms in right, Eastern yeah. Europe. Um, Italians were escaping their own like fascist government mm-hmm. or a proto-fascist government, really. And then all the economic problems in Italy. And then, yeah, the Irish were um, uh, kind of being genocided, uh, a soft genocide, if you will, <laughs> from England. So they ran from that. And they come here and it's like, oh, well, uh, the dream's not actually real. And as clever and talented as you may be, it doesn't matter because you're so low on the totem pole. Totem pole you aren't going to get shit. So you're going to fight for it and it's going to turn uh, possibly good, talented men into evil men or morally gray men. And then, uh, of course, after the Prohibition... I mean, I, yeah, I got- <laughs> after the Prohibition era ends... Uh, then we get the full economic collapse, right? <laughs> it's almost like the system wasn't working then. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, there's an argument to be made that capitalism is the, the problem. But if you look throughout history, there's been countries that didn't have a capitalist society that have a lot of the same fucking problems. Well, I guess we can, in saying, saying capitalism right. and I mean, economic like I, policy, the broader it, sense of greed. Greed and, like, the, the structure of society. Yeah. Is set up so that the people at the bottom either suffer, suffer or, or fight. And since you don't have the the um what the ruling class has decided are the acceptable avenues to achieve power, you got to go find your own little avenues. And a lot of times that's crime. And uh, crime is beautiful in my opinion. So <laughs> not all crime. No, I mean obviously, uh, <laughs> um, sexual assaults of any nature are terrible. <laughs> we gonna parse out what crimes are acceptable now. Um, I mean, most of them are <laughs> if they're for valid reasons. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I guess what I'm saying is the American dream was never real. And we all just became this swirling trash fire of monoculture, of consumerism and desperate need to one-up each other or have power over one another. And then, uh, obviously, race plays a part into it because all the people in this film are aligned by their ethnic origins. They all interact with each other. Because obviously they're in the same um, economic class, but then there's still party lines that are drawn on ethnic origin. Because you know everyone's calling them, oh, the damn potato eaters, yeah. the guineas, um, Sheeny. I I wasn't the, this. I feel like this is the only film I've watched where that's an ethnic slur for Jewish people. No, it definitely is the Sheeny curse and all oh that shit. yeah, you're right. Well, I try to stay away from uh, <laughs> <laughs> from uh, the the racial languages, yeah, pejoratives. But <laughs> yeah, now yeah, you're right. I have heard it before. And then um, another <laughs> aspect that's in the film is uh, uh, there's a few gay men that are in this movie. <laughs> no, very light touch. Kind of, but I mean, if you pay attention at all, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, because yeah, so everyone dislikes John Turturro's character. Um, he's a degenerate. They call him a shmata, which is like dirty, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because he's gay. And then Busemi's character Mink is also and the a Dane. Gay man and the Dane. And they have like a like a oh, love triangle, love triangle sort of thing going on. Um, and what's interesting to me about that is 
I can think of like real life experiences I've had where like dudes I've known hang out with um a gay man who's like from the neighborhood, you know, and like they bully the shit out of him. They always call him sweet, you know what I mean? It's like sweet oh, Terrell yeah. or shit like that. But then like still spending time with them, that sort of thing. It's like a weird form of homophobia that is uh, showcased very well in this film. Nothing about it's good. I'm not saying it's like a better form of human interaction or anything. It's just I think it's interesting that it's presented this way in the film because it's like something I've like seen firsthand. Uh, but I guess that's enough socio-political rambling. We can just talk about this film that has no message at all, and it's just about uh, men being men, as most films are. Just, all the good films, no messages. Just dudes being dudes. This is, uh, of course, directed by the Coen Brothers. This is the second film we've watched by the Coen Brothers. The Raising, Arizona. Being, Raising Arizona. And uh, everyone knows the score about the Coen Brothers, right? You know what they directed. They've directed uh, all sorts of good shit. Serendipity. Serendipity. <laughs> they did direct um, Intolerable Cruelty. Uh, that I don't know. People listening might not know that. Because there's some people that see No Country for Old Men as like an anomaly in their filmography. But now they have plenty of like violent films like Miller's Crossing and their very first film, Blood Simple. Which we'll probably watch eventually because those are their like three eighties movies. They're Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, and then this. But this is technically nineteen ninety. Nah, that still counts. <laughs> it's filmed in eighty nine. Shit. Uh, the Coen Brothers are known as the two headed director. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it does make him sound like super. <laughs> yeah, it right? sounds awful. Uh, you want to work with the two headed director, eh? Well, one head tells you to jump. The other one tells you to run. Uh, there's um, they have this writing style. That uh, it's kind of something you've talked about with your writing where they'll just have an idea for a scene and write it mm-hmm. and then just kind of write it in pieces around it or to, to make it make sense. Like for Miller's Crossing, uh, I think Ethan Cohen just had the idea of um, someone's like hat blowing through the woods. And then from that, it became Miller's Crossing. But uh, apparently often leads to them uh, having writer's block or getting to like points in the screenplay where they don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> oh, God, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll go on um, and work on something else. And for the, the biggest example is while they're writing Miller's Crossing. We did that. Technically, in the last, we started uh-huh. writing one screenplay. Like, I oh, can't figure out what we started doing. <laughs> it was like, yeah. like a month ago. Nah, it was like, I guess it was like six months at this point. Yeah, it's been, that second screenplay took a while. Uh, great example of that for the Coen brothers, though, is in the middle of writing Miller's Crossing, they didn't know what to do, so then they just wrote Barton Fink. <laughs> <laughs> we like John Turturro. This is um first film that they work with uh, John Turturro and Steve Buscemi, actually. Miller's Crossing. But, I mean, it's only the third film, so it had to start somewhere. And Frances McDermott, of course, has a cameo in this film, which is Joel Cohen's wife. Since like 1987 or something, since Raising Arizona times, the all, they also wrote like the first 40 pages of Big Lebowski when they couldn't finish Miller's Crossing. Oh, weird. Yeah, so they got a lot of work done. It was just uh, not not anything people. that was gonna get made. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at the time. Yeah. Also, Miller's Crossing opened the 1990 New York Film Festival standing ovation. All that shit it was a. Uh, you'll probably get to this, but wasn't it kind of like a uh, flop in the box office? Yeah, it's um wasn't marketed very well. There's a shock based on the trailer and the fact that it's kind of well, I mean, it's kind of like a it's almost a satire of a yeah it's, of a it's mafia an, movie. It's not like a straight up gangster movie because it's a little bit more dense and there's a lot of subtext to it, right? And there's some tongue in cheek stuff in there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like just a lot of like the Rye, Dry Cone Brothers mm-hmm. sort of comedy. I, I love the tone of it, but I can see why it's going to be hard to market. Yeah, so they didn't market it very well. I don't know. It's, it doesn't have that wide of an appeal, especially in 1990. Like, who's going to watch a prohibitionary gangster movie, you know? I would, but I was only four years old. <laughs> yeah, I actually kind of discovered Miller's Crossing sort of uh, late into my uh, f- film critic career, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> if you will. If you will. Yeah, I was probably in like high school when I first watched Miller's Crossing. It was just on HBO. I don't know if that's late to your film critic career. <laughs> Uh, for this podcast, it is most of the movies we watched. Like, right, I was true. watching pretty young. I was thinking about that too. And it's like you don't watch like RoboCop with your kids, right? No, we talked about that on the RoboCop episode. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I watched RoboCop with my dad. Yeah, we were watching crazy shit pretty young. Turned out all right. Oh, um, I was wrong. It's uh, this, this the film most likely takes place in 1929, uh, which have been the very right end before. of Prohibition, right? Yeah, all comes crashing down. No, come crashing down her <laughs> Here's a cool quote from uh, Joel Cohen. Has very little to do with uh, this film, but I like it because he's talking shit about TV. And he says the thing about TV series that I don't understand, and I think it's hard for both of us to get our minds around, is you know, feature films have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But open end, open ended stories have a beginning and a middle, and then they they're beaten to death until they're exhausted and die. <laughs> they don't actually have to end. And thinking about and about that in in the context of a story is rather alien to the way we imagine these things. Which is, that's generally my feelings about TV is yeah, it just doesn't work. It's not a good way to tell a coherent mm-hmm. story. You know, I mean, if I were a good way to make show, money, I would write. I'd have to write one that had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and. Fuck you guys if you wanted more. Yeah, uh, even that doesn't work out though, because um, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen was a self-contained story and it was garbage. <laughs> I think it's just because Damon Lindelof can't write, <laughs> and he doesn't seem to understand any of the media he consumes. Well, you know, the, the Watchmen has a real reverence for superheroes, mm-hmm. and I just don't think he understood that. <laughs> Who are the big stars in this film? We got Gabriel Byrne. Who? He's from Dublin. Who? Um, I don't. He's in Hereditary recently, <laughs> looking yeah. real old. Uh, yeah, he's uh, probably younger audience that has no idea who Gabriel Byrne is, but he was a very fine actor in his time. He's done a lot of good work. He was sort of um, considered like very handsome, like around this period when Miller's Crossing takes place. And like, he's not unattractive or anything, but I like look at him and I'm like, yeah, he's from Dublin. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Something about his eyes and his ears and stuff. He's, he's, got like that, he's got that posh Dublin accent. I don't really like the Dublin accent that much. Uh, we also got Marsha Gay Harden, who plays Verna. This is her very first feature film. And, and her last. No, nah, she's got a storied career. Um, nothing I really like, but <laughs> she's been in a lot of Miller Crossing. Since. Yeah, well, that's about it. And then John Turturro, who's... All of his best roles are with the Coen brothers, and then he's also in, like, Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> and the Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> and then Albert Finney plays Leo. He's a famous English actor. He's, like, contemporaries with, like, uh, fucking Peter O'Toole, Richard Burton, yeah, yeah. those sorts okay. of guys. Been acting forever. He wasn't their first choice, though. I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't Albert Finney. It was actually going to be another Irishman. He's from England, which is close enough, I guess. <laughs> He does a weird accent. Yeah, he does a super <laughs> fucking weird accent. Where is that accent supposed to be? <laughs> uh, this is one of the three Coen Brothers films to not be edited by the brothers themselves. 
The pseudonym they use when they edit is Roderick James. <laughs> Why that one? I don't know. It's got to be a reference to something, I would assume. And then the other two films are Raising Arizona and Hudsucker Proxy. It's been a long time since I saw Hudsucker Proxy. He invents the hula hoop. Yeah. It's crazy. There's it's a very hairy woman in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> They uh, turned down, reportedly, reportedly, the, no exact confirmation, but it might, the Coen brothers might have turned down uh, the Batman movie to make Miller's Crossing. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I would love to see a, a Coen brothers Batman movie. I know that's probably not what they want to do, but that's what I would like to see. It, I just... Just was, once. Just one. Like, thinking about it, what would it be like? Because you know they wouldn't take it that seriously. Well, that even Tim Burton's The 89 Batman that did come out is kind of a, a joke, right? Yeah. Because he's like, oh, yeah, it's got to be corny like a TV show. I don't read comics. Isn't that what he said? He's like, Basically. I ain't got time to read comics. <laughs> and then the second one, he was like, what if I just make like a German uh, expressionist film? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually rewatched uh, Batman Returns around Halloween. I was her number one son, and, uh, but they treated me like number two. It is like kind of like garbage. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, the cinematography and like the aesthetic he chose, I do really like. It'd be cool if he revisited that with like um, uh, a good movie. But Tim Burton has made not good movie a good movie in like twenty time. years. Like Big Fish was all right. Yeah, that was the last one I think. And now he just does. He had that Disney uh, trash. That Johnny Depp vampire movie. Oh, what was that called? The one that was based off a TV, TV show care. or some shit. His style is also like so crisp and commercial and like digital and shit. Now you know what I mean. It's not the same director yeah, it's at not all. Gritty. Where's the grit and the grime? No, he doesn't even shoot on film because he's got to have munchkins in it. And I was never a huge Tim Burton fan to begin with, and he definitely just fucking fell off. Oh, the character of Leo was originally written for Trey Wilson, who played Nathan Arizona Sr. in the Coen's previous film, Raising Arizona. Mm. Wilson died shortly before production began, though, and then Albert Finney eventually run, won the role. Eddie Dane... He was originally written for Peter Stormare, and he would have been called the Swede instead. <laughs> Is this guy actually Danish? I don't think so. He's an American guy. Um, yeah, and Stormare declined because he was apparently doing Hamlet on Broadway. Oh, well, there's a reason. And then it was rewritten, recast, and he became the Dane. Um, his name's just Eddie Dane, though. Is he actually supposed to be Danish? I don't know. If Peter Stormare would have played him, his name would have been like Eddie Sweet. <laughs> it would have been Eddie Dane still, probably. <laughs> That's the thing is, Dane is people's last name sometimes. Yeah. I don't think Sweet is. Uh, Gabriel Byrne. Although he was a native Irishman playing Lieutenant to an Irish mobster, the Coens did not originally want Gabriel Byrne to use his own accent in the film because the Dublin accent is boring. <laughs> that part you added in. Yeah, that's my <laughs> personal opinion. Uh, Byrne argued that his dialogue was structured in such a way that it was a good fit for his accent. And after he tried it, the Coens agreed. And then uh, according to IMDb in, on this fact, it says ultimately both Byrne and Albert Finney used Irish accents in the film. Albert Finney did not use an Irish accent. He, he that might I have have a little, heard. little, little touch, but not. He not sounded, no, he sounded he was like a New Englander or yeah. something. You know what I mean, that didn't sound Irish at all. Okay, not any Irish accent I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, main theme of the soundtrack is based on the Irish tune, The Lament for Limerick. A lot of whistles. Uh, a lot of strings in this version. And then Reagan toasts Andrew Volstead outside Caspar's premises during the police raid. Andrew Volstead, the guy that got Prohibition started in the Senate? 
Or it might have been the House. I don't remember. Yeah. Can't remember if he's a senator. I think he's just a representative. But yeah, he got the ball rolling on the actual like legalization of prohibition. The uh, yeah, that's all the background you need for the film. Let's talk about it. You got any notes? I don't have any notes. All right, well, I loved it. It yeah. was amazing. I'd watch it ten more times. How many times have you seen it already? You think? Uh, I don't know. Probably this is probably like my fifth or sixth time watching it. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. I tend to actually like their more serious violent movies. Oh, brother, Art Thou is amazing. So I, I like their softer stuff too, but I do think it's better. Like No Country for Old Men, Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing. I like movies where people get shot. I kind of <laughs> just also I like crime movies a lot, and this one, like we said, has a, it's got a little bit more going on than like fucking The Untouchables, <laughs> which is I The Untouchables is um good to compare it to because it's released around the same time period. I think Untouchables is like eighty eight. Um, it's made by another auteur, Brian De Palma, but, uh, and it's prohibitionary gangster shit, but it's fucking garbage. I fucking hate the untouchables. Everyone always talks about the scene where like they're on the courthouse steps and it's all in slow motion and shit. That's the corniest shit ever. (laughs) You're getting a lot of hate for this one. I I don't know. I don't know how much people like De Palma anymore. Yeah. So the prohibition era is a cool point in American history. It's good for mining, uh, gangster stories right there's a lot of uh, prohibitionary films sort of like the drug prohibition we have now allows for a lot of organized crime um prohibition of alcohol back then allowed for a lot of organized crime i mean basically anytime you limit anybody's access to something it's you were going to create a uh, a niche in the market Mm -hmm. capitalism yeah (laughs) laissez-faire economics you know uh, demand creates supply or something and then yeah it's um uh, the at a nice crossroads with a lot of immigrants coming in who need an avenue to make money. Fucking, that's how you do it. Alcohol. <laughs> I think that's our great grandfather. Yeah, King Mike. Yeah, yeah, he was doing <laughs> prohibition gangster stuff, right? I think it was a great, great, great grandfather. He's great, a couple great greats grandfather. Out yeah, he was like a, in Chicago land doing prohibition stuff, having like speakeasies and casinos, gentlemen's clubs. Yeah. Or just clubs or whatever. They show, um, like, the they go, they uh, fucking, the cops firebomb <laughs> one of Leo's clubs. I like the I like the way the cops are portrayed in this movie. Oh, yeah, they're just in the pocket of the gangsters. <laughs> and they're just fucking goofs. Yeah. <laughs> the reality of the situation, right? Because yeah. it was all intertwined. Like, the local government, the police, and gangsters were all intermingled. And you see a little bit of that, too. Like, when uh, Johnny Casper takes over and he's meeting with the mayor trying to get his uh, cousins, like... Cabinet <laughs> positions. Well, speaking the of, assessors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then they allude to the fact that Leo installed a lot of like... He's like, yeah, I can get him jobs. I can get him good paying jobs. Yeah. I don't have to do anything. That's yeah. the kind of job I want. And Johnny... What, what happened to great-great-grandpa Mike there, huh? Well, he had several wives. Yeah, we were like the first set, too. Uh-huh. We are descended from his uh, first set of children. And then he um, had several wives and divorces. And I think he died like destitute, so... Crime doesn't pay? (laughs) I don't know. Well, it doesn't seem to pay generationally. I'll say that much. The other parts of it, probably going to too, is like the other like lines of our family are just like poor bug eating Irish people. (laughs) We're getting shit from them. Uh, I started the beginning that Ethan Cohen had the idea of seeing like someone's hat blowing in the wind. And that became the nucleus for the entire film. I like to think like if, if one <clears throat> thing took a different turn, like what other film could they have written 
based on a hat blowing on the wind. I don't know. This thing is what kind of hat was he imagining? Right. Well, what if it was a, what was the what if it was a baseball cap? <laughs> what if it was a Stetson? <laughs> I mean, we'll be watching a cowboy movie. Yeah, uh, but then when you actually watch the film Miller's Crossing, the only time we see the blowing hat is a very opening sequence, and then uh, Tom talks about a dream he had about his hat getting blown away. But then when he's actually going through the woods to kill uh, the Shmata, Bernie, Bernie Burnbaum, his hat doesn't get blown off. And then when they go back to check on the body, his hat stays firmly on his head. What's the deal? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you're reading too much in this hat thing. Cohen's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> Which one? Both of them. They're a two-headed director. <laughs> I don't right, know. Before this video at home, Kyle just pulled up his shirt like he's going to be a ninja <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> oh, for some reason, I do it to um, like center myself almost. I'll do it like impulsively all the time. Wow. I don't know why. It's like I have to like hide my face for a second and become a new version of me. Maybe you are psychotic. I was thinking about that. A bunch of other stuff. I was like, oh, look, maybe I am a psychopath. I don't know not to dredge up too much family history, but one of our grandfathers seems like he probably was a psychopath. I think our great, I think our great grandmother was a psychopath too. Yeah, so she was in a mental institution and didn't raise her own children. Yeah, so I'm, that's the thing, right? There's a genetic uh, component to it, right? So I don't know. I just got a lot of brain problems. It's not a big deal. I haven't. Like, nah, everybody's got them. I haven't. If the FBI asks, I haven't killed anybody, so it's <laughs> not too big a deal. <laughs> oh shit. Um, this would have been a good time period for me to be alive in, though. I think I think I really yeah, could. I would have done quite well in prohibition. I think I could have flourished in like the yeah prohibition era crime stuff because I've, I've I've I like crime. I like the uh, <laughs> I like the thrill of it. <laughs> yeah, I like to do crime. <laughs> I like the smell, I like the thrill, I like the taste of crime. <laughs> crime seems pretty cool. And then you know, my friend he ejected two crimes into his veins. <laughs> he died the next day. <laughs> And uh, speaking of being a psychopath, I do have um, sort of my moral compass is uh, when it comes to like organized crime and uh, th- these sorts of things, things you think of like uh, gangbang and shit like that. Uh, my philosophy is like if you're in the game, right, there's kind of like tacit oh, yeah. agreement like, yeah, I can kill you and it's fine. <laughs> That, no, I'm I mean? in. I, I guess if that makes you a, psych, a psychopath, then I, I guess I'm a psychopath too. Because I agree. If you're if you're an organized crime, you, if you're heavy in organized crime, yeah, you gotta accept that you might get shot by someone else. It's gonna be an organized crime. Like, yeah, like, deal with it. Part of the business. I, it's like not a healthy mindset at all. But like, I get it. You know what uh, I mean, I'm honestly, as far as moral compasses go, Tom is more or less where I see myself. Like, I would give Bernie a shot. Like, run away. And if you come back, I'm going to fucking kill you, stupid yeah, son of a no, bitch. Yeah, like, he, Bernie really ruins it for himself, to be honest. Like, so, um, yeah, I understand both parts of it when he gives Bernie a break. Because it's like, Bernie, whatever he tried to fuck over Johnny Casper, I'm not loyal to Casper anyways. Right, I right. To I just wanted this shit to get over with. So if you get out of my hair and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, just fucking get out, you know. Just, and when this all calms down, then we're fine. This dangle, as they would say. <laughs> dangle. <laughs> Make like a leaf and get out of here. <laughs> when they say dangle, though, I just imagine like, hmm, what's like the, the, the origin of that, though? It's, it's probably your balls dangling when you walk, right? <laughs> just dangle on out of here, your ball dangler. But yeah, Bernie comes back like an idiot and tries to um, blackmail Tom about it. I like, like when Tom I'm- calls him too and he's like, you know, I was thinking about it. Fuck you. <laughs> The whole time, I'm like, this is not a smart idea. Why would you blackmail this guy? Well, that's the whole thing is, um, Bert, or Tom's just a little bit smarter than everyone else, right? Uh, no one, like, you don't have to be a genius to be a criminal, obviously. 
You don't have to be a genius to be an elected official and run the government. Yeah, you don't have to be smart to really do anything. You don't have to be a genius to uh, run a corporation. You don't have to be a genius to to be a billionaire and uh, run a billionaire's corporation. It's all about who you know. Mostly. Who you know, what neighborhood you're from, your economic class, uh, family name, all sorts of stuff. As far as like this gangster shit goes, it seems like it's just more who you know, probably your neighborhood and uh, your ethnicity. <laughs> Reality of it, though, is I think in this time period, the Irish mob would have been Irish, Jewish, and Polish. Yeah. Because they, uh, the Italians were much more powerful at the time. So they had to kind of like come together. So it should be a more mixed bag versus Johnny Casper. But it's almost, they, even though it's like New York and like they say like Leo runs the town or whatever, it seems like kind of small scale almost, you know? Yeah, like it's a small town. Like the mayor, it could be like going to like an ancillary town in yeah, New York. Yeah, it's like not New York City, yeah. Like, because it seems like Leo's probably even got an answer to someone, you know? Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a huge operation, like a big operation on all of New York. But that's the thing, though. During the Prohibition era, the operations were kind of smaller, though. It's that's not like true. how advanced the mafia became later on. Like, yeah, as depicted in The Irishman, right? Yeah. Eventually, they're controlling all sorts of shit, and there's a major hierarchy to it. That's a nationwide sort of thing. That's not how it was in Prohibition era. It really was just like neighborhoods and towns and cities. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, Prohibition is where era is really where it stopped. Stop where it started to become what it Bigger became. Right. Yeah. That's what the Prohibition is what allowed all these mobsters to really start making money. Yeah, because the mob existed before before. Prohibition. Well, organized crime. Well, yeah, the organized crime was before Prohibition, but Prohibition is what launched them in the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it was uh, specifically the Italian mafia being able to stomp out the competition during Prohibition that allowed them to become the primary yeah. organized crime in the United States. Because it could have been Polish people. Could have been Jewish people. Uh, not the Irish, though. Apparently, they were pretty like underpowered by the time all this was going on already, anyways. And... As you saw, they were starting to move into... Um, <laughs> they were the cops by this point. Yeah, they're starting to move into the police force and elected officials. There's a lot of overlap with Irish Americans becoming uh, um, police chief, sheriff... Uh, Alderman. <laughs> mayor. Yeah, shit like that. They're starting to move into government. And then eventually got JFK in there. <laughs> and then never again. Uh, they're trying real hard for Biden. <laughs> the United States said, Catholics, never again. Right, Kennedy's the only Catholic. What about McGovern? He wasn't a Catholic. He was a uh, Protestant. I don't know. He might have been a. I don't honestly. I don't know if about his childhood. I don't. I think he was Protestant. Mm. But uh, if Biden, he's Biden, Catholic. He's Catholic. I don't believe that he's Irish. He's Irish in like the way everyone in on St. Patrick's Day <laughs> says they're Irish. <laughs> but he's Catholic, so he had to be Irish or Italian or Polish at some point. I think we talked about it before. I think it's interesting that all the first like downtrodden immigrants in the United States were Catholic mm-hmm. or Jewish. Is Jewish or Catholic? No, they really didn't fucking like the Catholics, huh? <laughs> up, in, up until like the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, pretty recently, actually. Because uh, our dad even talks about um, not like outright discrimination, not that sort of thing, but like getting into like arguments and calling each other names between like him being Catholic and going to Catholic school and shit. And then like the regular kids <laughs> yeah because he's talking about what what he's talking about this would um, be like the early 60s if, if dad's in, in well the i mean school. like up yeah throughout the 60s right because dad 
was like he he went to a regular high school so oh yeah so yeah it would have been like, like 65 66 i don't think he was in Catholic school anymore yeah but um he was talking about they get like good friday off and then they just go out there and make fun of the other kids that had to go to school <laughs> that shit's pretty funny so i i get why people didn't like catholics they had extra days off school. <laughs> it all makes sense it was also the the political argument they would make is they'd be subservient to the Pope rather than right. the U.S. government, right? <laughs> I remember that line from uh, um, Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Oh, the Pope uh, sits on his with his pointy hat when sits on his throne in Rome. <laughs> Just file this country with your Roman popery. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's wild. Catholicism is pretty dumb though. I don't really like Catholics either. So you don't really like any organized religion, <laughs> nah. I like the v, I like the VHS cult. That's it. <laughs> Only we can guide you through the coming turmoil of the new decade. Um. So and we're entering a decade of fire. Come into the warm embrace of the cult. Warm embrace of the cult. Everything's on fire. The world's coming to an end. The only thing you can rely on is the VHS cult. We're gonna live in a swamp. We'll all die together. <laughs> Uh, so Tom is uh, Vernon calls him quite heartless throughout the film because he does come across as pretty cutthroat, I guess. But it turns out he's just like super loyal to Leo. He's not heartless. He just has his uh, his weird priorities. Yeah, but she really calls him out though. Um, when he admits to Leo that he's been with Verna and they get in a fight and he's like excommunicated from Leo's group, and she's like, "Wow, you always take the long way around to get what you want." Because he really was just bummed out that Verna was, like, dating Leo. And he I mean, I just... think... I don't know. I feel like he was. He said that to try to break them up specifically so that he would stop protecting Bernie and this would all be over. I think that's part of it, but I think some of his motivation is he did, did just like being with Verna, but he wasn't willing to admit it. I mean, that's probably part of it, too. People are complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a Coen Brothers movie, so yeah, all the characters are complicated and seem like all real human <laughs> Not beings. Not the mayor. <laughs> well, there are okay. There are some side <laughs> characters that are just in there for comedic flair. Even like Johnny uh, Casper, a little bit is they uh, humorize him quite a bit, but then you do get to see there is some sort of complexity to him. It's just that he's really uh, fussy, right? Mm-hmm. I guess is, he's like not. I don't. I, it's not like I've ever been involved in organized crime or whatever. But he's like a little bit too high strung, high strung to be like a, in a a leader position in general, right? I think that's what they're trying to. You would think so, but then to get back to a point I made a minute ago, you can be high strung and be the president of the United States. Well, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. So he's. I. I just okay. He can't be a good leader with his. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it just all, it all falls apart for him because of Tom Reagan, right? Tom Reagan probably wouldn't be a very good leader either because he, I don't think he can inspire loyalty or anything like that, but he's really fucking good at manipulating other people. Because <laughs> that's the whole movie is just kind of like, look at how smart Tom Reagan is. Uh, what's your favorite scene in the movie? Ooh. I like the uh, I like the scene where Tom's about to get the shit kicked out of him by the Dane and one of the uh, Casper's goons and then the cops bust in. 
Oh, I just like yeah. that whole sequence because, like, when he hits him with the chair, he's like, "Ah, Tom, come on, Tom." Yeah, that's like a really good Coen Brothers comedy. Scene. <laughs> and then the static camera while he like rushes out of the room. Yeah, and you wait and watch, and then he comes back in with another guy, and they beat the shit out of him. But then the cops roll in, and then they wake him up, and then like they say, "Hey, you want to want to hit on your playmate? We're gonna be interrogating these guys all night." I know you want to scrape a knuckle on him. <laughs> he's like, ah. My favorite scene is when they try to assassinate Leo. They make Albert Finney look like a badass. Yeah. My question is, why did the other guy not just continue to shoot into the bed? Well, uh, that's the thing is, I think they are shooting into the bed and the bullets aren't passing it through. That's uh, one thing I thought about in that scene, too. Is like, if I was a rich mobster guy, I would have a big enough bed that I can get under it. Under it mm-hmm. And I would put bulletproofing up. Between the mattress, yeah, I mean, maybe he does frame. have like armor plates in between the mattress and the box spring or whatever. You know, there could be all sorts of shit there because it seems like they, you can see the line of bullets go up into the bed, mm-hmm. but then they're not coming through. And I don't think a regular ass mattress, especially back then, would have been able to it's horse hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the best part I like is you can see the smoke from the dude's cigar coming up between the floorboards, and that's what tips off Leo that something's going on. It's like, damn, that's crazy. Uh, possible, right? I'm sure the houses, the way the houses were built back then, there probably was space in between the floorboards. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. It's I assume. Interesting, anyway. Uh, the recording of Danny Boy that was used in that scene was uh, specifically made for the film, and the uh, Coen brothers actually directed and recorded it because they wanted it paced out to time with the action on screen. Oh, crazy. Yeah, Coen brothers are good at making movies. Not like uh, Tom Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips is really great. <laughs> Never mind. I won't talk about the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Another scene I like is uh, when after Tom admits to Leo what's going on and he's walking out. Why the fuck was Batman in it so much? Never Batman. mind. It's stupid. Oh, in the Joker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to make a Joker movie and it'll not be about the Batman, but he's fucking, it's the fucking, the Bruce Wayne thing is central to the fucking plot. It's dumb. I hate Todd Phillips. I hate everybody like the Joker. Anyways, continue. I won't talk about Joker ever again. Yeah, it's garbage. Man, who cares? It's trash. Trash. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips does not appear in this film because this is a good movie. What's your favorite scene? Uh, Leo assassination attack. Oh, oh, I like the scene where Tom tells Leo what's up and he starts walking out and uh, Leo comes up behind him. Starts beating the shit out of him. Starts beating the shit out of him. I like you can see. So Leo's got his... Uh, his crew protecting him now, and they're all lined up down the hallway. And you can see uh, initially when Leo punches him, uh, the other guys like catch Tom and give him his hat back. And then slowly as he goes down the line, they start to realize like, oh, like fucking Tom's fucked, and they <laughs> become much more aggressive towards him. And eventually, one of them just like tosses him down the stairs. That's just good filmmaking, man. Visual storytelling. You can see like you can visually see his crew turning on Tom as they move through him. And also, it's presented like comically too, which is a nice <laughs> Coen Brothers touch to it. What's your favorite little com- comedic turn in the movie? I, I, same thing as you. Really, I like when um, he hits the dude with the chair, and he's just like, "Come on, Tom!" <laughs> <laughs> I like, uh, I like whenever there's a little uh, line of dialogue that just kind of pulls me out, because <laughs> well, it's a got like a funny turn in it, or a, a lingo that you know just is appropriate for the movie. But, it but sounds it's weird. really funny in mo- for modern ears. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, watch out, you skag. <laughs> Why do you go and dangle? Uh, what do you think of John Turturro? John Turturro is great in everything. Powerhouse performance. He, huh? He's, I mean, he the Transformers movies are shitty, but he's great in them. Yeah. But the Miller's Crossing is like, uh, 
Steals the show a little bit, don't you think? He steals the show in uh, the Big Lebowski too. Yeah. Well, I just it was time. It's time for us now to talk about it's Totoro time when Tom walks Bernie Birnbaum into the woods. How intense that scene is. He's basically just pleading for his life, right? It's intense. You're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I probably wouldn't kill this guy either. I probably wouldn't anyway just because it, I mean, it doesn't seem right to me uh, ethically. It's like, he didn't betray me. <laughs> he didn't even really fuck over Leo, you know? It's just Johnny Casper. It's like, well, I'm not on his team. Not that it's all about teams, but <laughs> it would be in that sort of situation. <laughs> when you organize crime, Kyle, you're on a team. Yeah, but he fucking really sells it. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, like you would just plead for your life, you know? And then when he comes back and he's, you realize he was just manipulating Tom, it's like, oh, shit. So Tom can be manipulated, <laughs> too. That's the thing is Vernon says he's heartless, but I guess he's not. Well, I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. I don't think he had any intention of killing him when he started walking out there. I think it was it's still he was still mulling over his mind a little bit. but And then the follow-up... Uh, bookend scene where Eddie Dane thinks he's got it all figured out and they're walking Tom back out. Yeah, there. that scene is intense too because I feel like I understand why Eddie Dane doesn't give up the chase at that point because as soon as they get to the woods and Tom knows what's going on, he doesn't have anything smart to say anymore and he's like, he throws up at one point. Yeah, he's, I would expect him to be a little bit cooler, like try to play along a little bit. Until I think he just knows he's fucked right away because he has no idea that Bernie's uh, stashed another corpse out there, Mink uh, specifically. And so he's just like, oh, this is it. I'm walking to my death. He fucking gave it up, honestly, because <laughs> as soon as he just... Very tight lips. He's throwing up. He's not saying shit. And the look on his face, it's so grave. Like, oh, yeah, you fucking didn't kill him, did you? <laughs> yeah, but they do find the corpse of Mink that Bernie stashed out there because uh, Bernie's quite clever. So Tom thinks he's off the hook. But Eddie Dane, a little bit too smart for that. But it was fucking obvious. Yeah. Because he had, just like Dane said, like, ah, oh, not so smart now that we're out here, huh? Because he was talking shit in the car until he realized where they were going. As soon as they're in the woods, didn't have shit to say. It's like, ah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I guess that's my thing. Like, I, 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 you never know how you're going to act in that situation, but I like to think that I would at least make one attempt at not getting killed. You know what I mean? He didn't do shit. In his situation, I would have done what he did later on when the Danes um, choked him to death in Johnny Casper's house. Mm-hmm. And John, uh, he just, oh, is this how you got the confession out of Gus? Right? To imply to right. you. Casper that oh he just told you that because he beat him or whatever and get Casper on his side I would try to I think I would probably try to do the same thing to the other two dudes who were dumber be like ah this is bullshit come on guys you were out here you heard the two shots you know I did it we don't need to do this shit yeah there's a fucking woods out here I'm not gonna find a body it's a needle in a goddamn haystack yeah he even says that to Casper like oh what would have happened if we didn't stumble on the body like we did right yeah Yeah, because it's not like they're gonna go the same exact spot so I would work those two guys to get out of it Cause fucking they're dumb and Eddie Dane. Yeah, and they work you know for Casper, I mean? not Eddie Dane. Yeah. And they got guns and shit too. I'm not scared of Eddie Dane, even though he seems like he's pretty talented. <laughs> he's got a goddamn hand cannon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that scene where um he goes to interrogate Verna, and then some of Leo get Leo's guys show up because they're protecting Verna, and he shoots that one guy through the door in the wall. It's like, oh, his gun's strong. He got strong gun. My, the only problem I have with that scene, though, is um, when he lets Verna go, she still has her gun. 
So you'd think she could have just shot him in the back. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Head. If I was her, I would just shot him when he was shooting the other two dudes. Yeah, because man, fuck this guy. Come to my apartment, try to talk to this shit. No way. Trying to beat me up. <laughs> you can get shot in the back of the head. Yeah, but she couldn't kill Tommy later on, even though even though Tommy. You should like Tom though. That's yeah. the thing. Killed her brother though, except for he didn't Dude. at that point, but he supposedly did. Then later on, he does kill him. That's the finale of the film. He's like, yep, tying up loose ends. Why do you think he didn't go back to work for Leah? I think he was just tired. I think he was just done. Yeah. He don't want to, I just think, you know, Bruno's going to be around. He doesn't want to be around that. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. What do you think he did afterwards? Moved to Boston. He went off to Niagara Falls, like he said, with Verna. No, he's going to Boston. Boston. He's shipping up to <laughs> Boston. Whoa. Uh, I don't know. Has he appeared in any gangster films since then? Gabriel Byrne? I don't think so. They should have had him in The Departed. It would be like a connection between Miller's Crossing <laughs> and The Departed. Oh, I guess not because he'd be like 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shit. Uh, I fucking love this movie. It's one of the one of my favoriteest gangster movies. The only movie I think that comes close to it is Road to Perdition. Well, I like Road to Perdition a lot. Um, another good um, Prohibition film, though, is uh, 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 Lawless. Well, Shia and oh yeah, I didn't Tom see Tom Hardy. It. Tom Hardy. I didn't know that they got in a fist fight on set. Oh yeah, well, supposedly that like wasn't a big deal. I've heard both of them talk about it, where they just like, nah, we used to just wrestle on set and I accidentally knocked him out. <laughs> but uh, it is um, a John Hill movie, and it is got a Nick Cave soundtrack. I don't think he wrote that one, but he did write. It. Nick Cave has written the Proposition, which John Hill uh, directed. And then I think he just did the soundtrack for Lawless. But it is a pretty good movie. It's not like groundbreaking or it doesn't even really have some of the character depth that Miller's Crossing has. But it's still a pretty good like prohibition movie. It's interesting to see it from like the more uh, bootlegging side of it rather than the organized crime side of it. I mean, they're still involved in organized crime, but they're the ones that they're are the, they're they're the ruler hick organized crime. Yeah, they're they're the ones that are creating the moonshine, the, the swill that they're selling in the grog spots. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just another movie where Tom Hardy is a badass. <laughs> he gets his throat slit and survives it. Also, it's based on a true story and that dude actually did get his throat slit and survived <laughs> it. He had to walk all the way into town. Holding his own throat. Yeah, holding his own throat. That's badass. I don't know if I could do it. I, I mean, if you if, fucking have to. <laughs> if you got to do it, you got to do it, right? I guess that's the thing, right, is you just try to keep the pressure from... Yeah, the thing, is too, is you have to keep the right amount of pressure because if you cut off too much, you're going to pass out and then die. Damn, that's wild. Yeah, they must have not got him too good, though. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't a deep cut, but... It... Yeah. Uh, Albert Finney, he did a great job, you think? No, I hate him in everything for the he's position, ever done. For the, 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 the spot he had. Oh, speaking of uh, Big Fish, Albert Finney's the pops in Big Fish. Yeah, yeah. He's the Big Fish. Or... Is he? He's a big fish in a little pond, huh? Isn't everyone? No. Oh. No. Aquaman's a pretty big fish. Fuck yeah, Albert Finney's good. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden, like I said, uh, not too many of the films she's in, but I like her a lot in this movie. Verna's really cool. She's badass. 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 And then, yeah, the interesting thing about Bernie kind of alluded to before is like they keep him... Everyone keeps him at arm's length because he's um, gay, but uh, otherwise, you'd think he'd probably be doing a lot better, right? This whole thing is like, they call him Shmata because he's gay. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't want to work with him. Well, I don't know, but the Dane's gay too, and he's doing fine for himself. 
Yeah, but he's like Johnny Casper's boy. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. he's yeah, fair point. Like Johnny he Casper got some protection. brought him up with yeah. him. It seems like. Yeah, and uh, Bernie didn't have the same sort of connection. Well, like we said before, it's all about who you know, right? And uh, Bernie kind of didn't know anybody, it seemed like. And then they found out, oh, no, he's slightly different from us. Oh, no, he bad. Well, <laughs> wasn't the whole thing is that he was fucking people on bookings or some shit? Oh, he was fucking with Johnny Casper's booking. Like, he would, like, change the odds on other bets and stuff based on what Yeah, Casper's so I mean, that you're going to expect. I don't. The reason Casper wanted to kill him wasn't because he was gay. It's because he was fucking with his booking. Well, obviously, Casper doesn't care about it. He's yeah. an aggressive man. <laughs> Except for beating his children. <laughs> yeah, his best friend is a gay man, Eddie Dane. He loves that guy. Until he does it. He yeah. kills Eddie Dane. I mean, that's, there's no one uh, with who's morally righteous in this movie. Well, no, it's a movie about organized crime. It's kind of harsh. Yeah, but you kind of um, Verna's not really that bad. No, she doesn't really do anything. She's bad. the best out of everybody. Hundred percent. She's just uh, living her life, trying doing, to protect her brother. Yeah, doing what she needs to for her family. Maybe manipulating Leo and getting some people killed. I don't know, but it's still better than she doesn't get anyone killed directly though. Kind of, I mean, I mean I but his protection of Bernie gets some people Technically, killed. it starts like a gang war. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She loves her brother. I guess I can't. Well, yeah. I'd like protect my family <laughs> over any other dumb shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I get it. I'm so, anyways, it's a, in a more movie about gray people and organized crime, she's the best one. Yeah. She, she's the, just a regular-ass person, pretty much. Her brother, though... um, Kind of a dick. Yeah, like a huge dick. When he's talking to Tom the first time and he's just talking shit about her. She's a real fucked up twist, huh? And then Tom calls him out. He's like, oh, she says nothing but nice things about you. And he's like, well, family, you know? <laughs> yeah. well, he is a pr- well, he kills Mink, too. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing is he's not loyal to anyone. He's kind of, turns out he's a dick. Not very nice. Just a no one shit. is, though. It's like, man, who is nice in the movie? Hmm. Chief of police, but he's that, just doing his job. Yeah, that's all. He's like, oh, like they told me to party somewhere. Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always gets shut down. <laughs> oh, you know me. I don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, though, is uh, we can't. Uh, we don't need to make moral arguments for the characters in a, a gangster movie. No, it's not even really a morality play. It's just kind of a character examination of this time period. And then you can look like uh, as we did or I did at the beginning of the film. I like tried to politicize a certain aspect of it. But I was actually more talking about the historical time period than any of the things going on in the film. As the film goes, it doesn't matter if there's no good guys or bad guys. It's fucking interesting to watch. Interesting characters. Um, you kind of root for Tom, though, because he's the protagonist while you're watching it. So you're like, I, do feel I hope like- his plan works out. I do feel like even when there's not like a good guy or a bad guy necessarily, you still want a character to not necessarily root for, but feel something for. You gotta at least be intrigued. You gotta by connect. Him. Yeah, there has to be some charisma to it. And um, I will not completely dismiss that there is an allure to gangster films that is rooted in misogyny and some of the darker aspects of our culture. And I absolutely am familiar with those feelings watching gangster films and stuff, but. Uh, that's not like the sole purpose of gangster films. It's not to encourage those behaviors. Well, some of the most movies are made specifically 
Well, I guess at this point there have been, but like um, accusing like Scorsese. Yeah, no, no, that's a little much. Or like this film, even though it hasn't been, but if someone were to bring up this film, be like, yeah, it's celebrating gangsters. It's not really. It's just this is a kind of here's the slice of life in a certain time period, and this is kind of what people were doing back then. And it's interesting because we don't live that life now. We don't see it now. See variations of it, not usually firsthand. Whatever movies rule. It's fun to talk about movies. Well. Some movies rule. <laughs> See, man, bad movies are fun too. Fucking if they're really bad, there's movies that are like just mediocre that I really don't want to talk about. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing is, um, there is like that tipping point where it's uh, not entertaining enough that it's worth watching. So it's yeah, the worst thing a movie can be to me is boring. Anyway, that was a really rambly episode. Fuck it. I don't yeah. care. This is my podcast. This is our podcast. You can't tell me what to do. I won't do what you told me. Oh, did you see that screenshot that was getting passed around on Craigslist of a uh, Rage Against the Machine style band that was looking for a lead vocalist, but they were a uh, conservative libertarian band? What do they call themselves? I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I did not. It was great. I'll try to I do what they tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do what they tell me. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to find the screenshot and send it to you because it's pretty funny. Anyhow, uh, that's VHS Cult. We watched VHS Cult. Miller's Crossing. Next time we are going to watch Ran. Akira Kurosawa. Ran. Yeah, it's King Lear basically, but Samurais. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's also like fucking Star Wars is just uh, Hidden Fortress. So yeah, Star Wars is several Akira Kurosawa movies all mashed together, and then I guess just. Uh, hero with a thousand faces or whatever just the hero myth in general but Rand's pretty cool it's gonna be awesome to watch it is a very epic movie tons of like flying samurai banners and horse charges and crazy shit it's awesome so we're gonna watch Rand <coughs> you should watch it too and you should go to mcventureproductions.com and donate to our patreon first patron gets to have sex with me guaranteed <laughs> okay and you can follow us on twitter at A. Sean McDonald and at Kyle Man with two Y's and you can um and it's Magni in case you're you can rate and review us on iTunes and you can tell people about us on your own social media get VHS Cult out there we've got big plans for the future we gotta get VHS called Trend Twending I can't talk to you Trending in 2020 we gotta get a Twending Twending in 2020 Trendy Trendy Fuck it, I don't know. Do what you gotta do. Um, don't do what they tell you. Don't start. A fucking libertarian rage against the <laughs> I mean, I guess... Don't rock the boat! Technically, they're, um, like, libertarian left, right? Because that's what anarchism is. And I think... I don't know what their exact political ideologies are, but Zach de la Roca always struck me as being kind of an anarchist. So that's a form of libertarianism. That's not generally what people think of when they think of libertarian. And certainly not what these chuds on Craigslist are talking about. They're talking about having sex with 14 year olds and shit. That's cool. what I mean. That's what libertarians usually mean when they talk about libertarians. And then just watching the world burn. We can do it together through the power of 80s film. I guess. It's just cold.